Hey, everyone. Welcome to Lock on Lakers for Wednesday. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. LeBron James has his streak of 30-point-plus games ended in Orlando, and it was a good thing for the Lakers. We'll talk about it next. You are Locked on Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks to everybody for making Locked On Lakers your first listen of every day, Monday through Friday, no matter how or where you get your podcasts. Always free, never behind a paywall. Locked On Lakers on YouTube, zooming towards 10,000 subscribers. That's where you go to to, uh, see the show, participate in a vibrant and increasingly large community of people, many of whom uh, were quite angry uh, going into um, Tuesday's game in Orlando. They'll be a little bit happier um following that game today and we'll see what happens on wednesday night uh the lakers do win on uh in orlando on tuesday 129 to 110 and normally andy you know you beat the magic even on the road and even with all the caveats of like hey the lakers aren't very good either and hey anthony davis isn't there but you know what orlando had been one of the hottest teams in the yeah, NBA. really had one eight of nine um they'd been successful at home and so you know what this actually is not just Oh, you beat Orlando. It's you beat Orlando by 19, and they've been playing well. So kudos to the Lakers. Well, to put this in perspective, Orlando was favored in this game. They were the last I checked, they were four-point favorites in this game. So if nothing else, the the bookmakers in Vegas who know an awful lot about this stuff, they they had the the magic given up points. So if in that sense, even if you want to say that it's underwhelming that this would be considered an achievement, it was nonetheless an achievement. Um, so, uh, and what we you know, we'll we'll update and see what happens for Wednesday. LeBron James, after um, the win, said uh, regarding his availability for for Wednesday, we'll see what happens when I wake up, uh, how he feels there. Um, so, you know. Back-to-backs are still back-to-backs, but LeBron had a very solid game, 28 points, seven rebounds, five assists. And if you want to have some optimism that he'll be available to play and feeling good and spry, he didn't, I don't, I mean, he wasn't loafing about, you know, he, he earned his paycheck on Tuesday, but the Lakers were not ultra reliant on him. The LeBron James lift-o-meter was relatively low for this one, all things considered. Yeah, I mentioned in the in the open, Andy, his streak of 30-point-plus games ended um, on, on Tuesday. That's a good thing for the Lakers on a night where they win by 19. Yeah, this was the ideal formula during this period without Anthony Davis, which is LeBron plays very well, which he did, but it doesn't feel like he's carrying the team which is absolutely different. The Lakers had six players in double digits, which feels like you got to go back to like the Kobe Pow days for, for that to have happened. It's It's been a minute, if nothing else. Uh, Thomas Bryant had 21 points, eight, eight of 10 from the field, plus 10 rebounds. Uh, Patrick Beverly, who we're going to get into, 14 points. Lonnie Walker had 10. But then you had Troy Brown, who you know has been slumping over the last couple weeks, Six of seven from the field, three of four from behind the arc, 15 points off the bench, and Russell Westbrook, 15 points, 
13 rebounds, 13 assists. Russ was terrific. He was. And it was a plus game. 18. I mean, I think that's the thing about, like, there have been games where Russ put up the numbers and all that. And you kind of look back and it's like, was the impact there? Was he, was, did the Lakers benefit from all those stats and all those minutes? And I don't, I'm not trying to resurrect the empty stats Russ thing, but, you know, sometimes the numbers don't reflect the impact. Um, I thought Tuesday they absolutely did. And, you know, a plus 18 is plus 18, only, you know, in 30 minutes of, of basketballing. But it was just, it was a very efficient night for the Lakers. They shot over, you know, 55%, which makes a huge difference for their defense. You know, when you listed out all the guys that had, um, that had uh, double digits points, like Austin Reeves wasn't one of them. So, and I'm not, I don't mean to pick on Reeves, but, you know, you get four of 10 from three from Patrick Beverly. By the way, all of his shots, uh, basically except one from three point range, which is, not a bad shot chart for him, especially if they're going in. Thomas Bryant was 8 of 10. Westbrook was 6 of 11. You mentioned the 6 of 7 from Troy Brown. When the Lakers get that kind of efficiency from supporting players, they have to take advantage of it. They have to. And it also, and Darvin talked about this after the game, Andy, a good field goal percentage and effective offense and efficient offense is going to make them less vulnerable on the defensive side of the ball, even when they go small. And they were smaller on Tuesday, certainly, than a lot of the lineups Orlando put out. But if you're not trying to match up in transition, if you're not cross-matched, if you're, not, if you're set, if Orlando misses, and they did, um, you can get a rebound. You know, you, you're you able to do that. And the Lakers got beat up a little bit early on the offensive glass, but after that did a really good job. They, they out-rebound Orlando over the course of the game. and So that stuff all worked. And I think it does start in part with with an effective and efficient offense. Yeah, and you mentioned Westbrook, or you mentioned the rebounding, and Westbrook had thirteen rebounds, all all defensive. And the reason I mention that is because Russ was really intent in this game at getting the Lakers to pick up tempo. Like the minute he would grab a rebound, he was running, and he put so much pressure on Orlando's defense like there were a lot of shots that Russ created either on kickouts or him kicking out and you know there was swing swing finding a guy in the corner and so much of that just came from the pressure that he put on the defense sure. collapsing Orlando it it helped them that uh Paulo Bancaro was in foul trouble this entire game you know he picked yeah, four he picked, point yeah he picked up his fourth and fifth fouls within, I think, the first three minutes of the third quarter, which was part of, by the way, uh, the delightful trend. I was oh, I'm glad be- you mentioned this because you, you know, the Lakers were up by, what was it, 10 at, at the half, um, mm-hmm. which was a small disappointment because that lead in the first in the second quarter got up as, uh, as big as, I believe, 16. Um, and it was down to 10 at the half, which is fine. It's like 10-point lead in an NBA game on the road at halftime. That's pretty good. But uh, Orlando scored the first two buckets of the second half, and you're like, oh, God. Um, and, you know, the Lakers, the especially after uh, what we saw the other night, are the worst third-quarter team in the NBA. And you're like, oh, this is, uh, this is not going to end well. You know what's and, funny, actually? And they balanced. They finished the third quarter. Um, they, they, they lost that quarter by one. Okay, great. Like, I, felt, I thought the way they finished the third, when Orlando got it down to, like, five, I believe it was, was a fantastic sign. Yeah, they, every time Orlando actually in this game would start to make a push, I thought the Lakers reacted 
pretty quickly and pretty decisively pushing the advantage back their way. You mentioned that third quarter, you know, we, we had talked about after the Dallas game and just that fiasco third quarter where they allowed 51 points to Dallas, you know, tying a franchise record minus for that team. 30. Yeah. A 30 point different, a minus, you know, differential is like in typical NBA for people who maybe are new to the game. Like if most of the time, if, if you give up a minus 30 in one quarter, you know, you might have scored like four points. The Lakers scored 21 points in that quarter, which is good, but it shouldn't be a minus 30. And it was, and you have to go back to the 50s, I believe they said after the game, to find a quarter that bad for the Lakers. I, I had noted how the Lakers entered that game as the fourth worst third quarter team in terms of net rating in the league. And their net rating was something like minus 10. I don't remember the exact number, but it was about minus 10 range. And I said, you know, they're likely going to go down after this third quarter. They went down to minus 13 something after one game. That is damn near impossible. Like yeah, they went, it's statistically, they went from, it's quite impressive, actually, to be they able to went do from 27th like to 29th after just one game in terms of net rating in the third quarter. So it, it was really nice to see them, you know get their bleep together during the third quarter, react well to these pushes. It definitely helped that Bancaro was not there and just seemed completely out of sorts this entire game. And, you know, just this was a game where it felt like, you know, it was interesting. Troy Brown said afterwards that he credited Patrick Beverly um, for a meeting that they had had talking about third quarters and just, the need to be better in them. And it, it sounded like from what uh, from what Troy said that I guess Beverly either talked a lot during this thing or decided this is something we need to talk about as a team. But whatever the case, um, you know, improved communication was a big theme and it seems like the Lakers really- At the very least, they, they rebounded when it was either give up the lead time or build the lead back out time. Again, they they started the lead with a, started the quarter with a 10 point lead. They finished it with a nine point lead. That's fine. Um, I wanna, we're, we're gonna talk more about Pat Bev before we're done here. Talk a little bit more about LeBron. Do you wanna mention, um, you know, the, the rebounding a little bit more and what Westbrook was doing in that pace because it is related to what, uh, Darvin Ham was talking about after the game in Dallas on Christmas. And also, we have a couple comments about what people were saying. Uh, we noted the anger on the website, uh, the Locked on Lakers YouTube page regarding Jeannie Buss and the team generally. We have a couple of those comments, which we will share with you next. Locked on Lakers brought to you by Prize Picks and Laker fans. If you've not signed up yet for Prize Picks, you are missing out on daily fantasy made easy. Prize Picks has the best NBA DFS prop game on the market. Price Picks offers more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator. They offer superstar players as well as bench players. Just pick two to five players, predict whether they will notch more or less than their Price Picks stats projections. And Price Picks offers projections on everything from NFL to women's college basketball, to even disc golf. Just use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. They offer safe, fast withdrawals. Download the Price Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. Sign up, play daily fantasy sports, and first-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to 100 bucks with the promo code Locked On. Don't forget that promo code Locked On at the sign-up for the instant match. If you are not playing Prize Picks, you don't know what you're missing. 
Um, it was Darwin was asked a couple times in a couple different ways about the the, the teeny tiny lineups um, and you know experimenting with that stuff. Um, Lakers got hammered in the third quarter with their big lineups. They got hammered with the small lineups. But obviously, when you play Russell Westbrook at center, it gets people's attention. What Darwin was talking about. Is, you know, in, in terms of kind of justifying what they were looking for is the ability to push and the ability to play much faster, to try to get easier baskets, to try to get into their offense a little quicker and all that kind of stuff. And I think we saw a better example of it because Lakers did go small relative to Orlando during this game. And it is, they can't do it if they can't rebound. And so when you talk about Westbrook's aggression on the boards and Westbrook's aggression pushing the pace, um, it's not. I mean, it's they're. I'm not saying they're going to run out and play five guards all the time. That's a good idea. But relatively speaking, when Thomas Bryant isn't in the game, they're often going to be small. And the only way that Ham's going to be able to get the small lineups, which he clearly likes, even before the Dallas game. I mean, Darwin's been criticized for going small. They have to be able to rebound. And so uh, to win the rebounding battle was a significant one um to play with pace i thought you know was significant i only wanted to point that out because it was a, it was a big talking point on uh on on sunday and, at, and there were times at least i thought on tuesday where you saw at least what it's supposed to look like like you know the 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 benefits in the trade and there's always going to be a trade-off um how they can sustain it when they want to try to go small. And it starts with rebounding at work. Brian, we should talk a little bit more about him too because these types of games are critical for the Lakers yeah. to be successful. All, the only point I was trying to make is like they 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 got on the glass and after a, a tough start, um, I think, how many offensive rebounds did the Magic end up with? Uh, Magic ended up with eight. Eight. I think six of them were in the first quarter. So they cleaned that up really well. Um, following you know a bad beginning um and so you know they got the ball up the floor they shot at it at an efficient percentage and they did it with balance which also helps on the defensive side so like all of that just a glimpse of what it's supposed to look like uh, but yeah thomas bryant i i looked up his shot chart andy for the season something like and i couldn't tell if it had been updated for for the game tuesday but it wouldn't have changed much in terms of percentages around 80 something percent of his shots are either at the rim or three pointers which is exactly what you want Thomas Bryant to be like here's a dude who really understands what he's supposed to go run like hell on the break and make yourself available for pick and rolls with LeBron James like he gets it and yeah. it's really fun to see I've talked about this before and seeing Thomas Bryant on a game to game basis now because his one season with the Lakers, he barely played. So, and, you know, I've not been watching the ins and outs of the Wizards over the last few years. He's been hurt for a lot of it anyway. But you notice that he's just a smart player. I, th I think Thomas Bryant makes a lot of smart plays while he's on the floor. He is a He's not a playmaker per se, but he's a better passer than, than I thought he would be. I think he reads the floor really well, um, mm -hmm. you know, and reads – not just reads the floor in terms of where everyone else is, but I think he reads well – in terms of where he's supposed to go, and, yeah, and, like and the, where the ball is supposed to, I agree. It's not yeah. fancy, but it's it's the right play. It moves yeah. things along. Absolutely, and, totally agree. And, and you know, in terms of in terms of the rebounding issue, and and this wasn't necessarily a night where you saw it from Patrick Beverly, 
but you know he is somebody that for a guard is actually a very good rebounder. He was like you mentioned before, fourth ten from behind the arc, and Beverly has become a very polarizing, if not just straight angering player among the Laker fan base. And you and I have been frustrated by Beverly at times. Over the well. course. I mean, it's just been, it's yeah. not, it's like, he's just, it's pointing out what is the obvious. Well, sure. The but, first 25 something, 27 games of the year, he wasn't very good. Right. But it also, he becomes, you know, emblematic or even an avatar of the small issues for this team and the small backcourt, the you no know, small one through three with Lonnie Walker, uh, playing up, you know, as a very undersized small forward, looking up some of Patrick Beverly's numbers, the last 10 or so games, he's actually been, in terms of the offense that was just dramatically missing, and I think hurting the team early in the season, he's been shooting over the, I'd say the last probably dozen games, somewhere between high 40s, low 50s from behind the arc, he's been averaging close to double digits over the last five games he absolutely has been averaging double digits and that's not even his counting he's got six, he's got six double digit games this season or i'm sorry four double digit games this season and 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 they're all in the last six games and, and the other two he have he, he scored eight and nine so it, he's definitely been averaging over his last six he's well over 10 points a game and it, you know it's creating this interesting thing now with the lakers because i still think on balance this small backcourt with lonnie at the three and some of the you know the small incarnations of this team closing out games, stuff like that, I still think it's untenable. I still think in a lot of ways it creates unnecessary issues, even acknowledging Darwin is working with imperfect choices. But Beverly now is playing in a way that combined with Schroeder falling into an offensive slump, you wonder if maybe one has to be removed from the lineup and I, I from the starting lineup and I think one does maybe it ends up Dennis Schroeder and you and you find a way to try to make it work with him and Russ which is very very uh awkward or Schroeder isn't playing as much whatever but it's just it's worth noting this just because you and I have both spent a lot of time as well as like a lot of fans I think a lot of media pointing out what's going on with Beverly he's somebody whose name is in trade rumors a lot because he's the only mid-sized contract the Lakers have, much less mid-sized and expiring, and he could end up possibly getting traded out of necessity or whatever. But he has actually been playing much better, and I think if nothing yeah. else, it's worth mentioning. It's It makes a huge difference for the Lakers. And again, you know, when he's scoring 10 points a game or a little above, which he has over the last, you know, certainly the last six games, he's shooting 39% from three for the month. Um, and you know, when he's doing, that's what they got him for. Mm -hmm. Um, and when he's doing those things, he is way more playable. And, you know, if he's making 35%, 38% of his three pointers, you can work with that when he's making 27, like he shot, uh, in November or 19, like he shot in October, it, that doesn't work. When Troy Brown and Patrick Beverly and you know have who have not been offensive contributors give you twenty nine points between them, am I am I doing the math here again? I clicked away from the the box score there for a second. Um, yeah, twenty nine points between the two of them. Like that's that's an enormous boost to your offense. And players who have not been good being good, and Beverly and Brown, we'll see if this is more than a one game blip. 
Um, Beverly has shown signs, and maybe that hamstring was an issue that was sort of talked about a lot, didn't cost him a lot of games, but maybe was bugging him more, or maybe he's just, you know, he's an older player who um, saw his shooting fall off last year. Um, it was the thing that we were both concerned about when they brought him in. Like, is he, you know, when it comes for older players, it often comes quickly. Uh, but at the very least, the last month, from a three-point shooting standpoint, he has been uh, a net positive for the Lakers and a badly needed one, uh, particularly over again, like, you know, since the middle of the month or so, um, you know, earlier in the month, you know, was sort of a sustained, the first three or four games kind of sustained the um, December results. But, you know, since like the Boston game, for example, where he hit two of three on the 13th, he's been quite good from back there. And if that continues, it's a big deal for the Lakers. Um, it's actually Andy, interesting, just real okay, quick. Yeah, sure, go ahead. Over the last 15 games, 10 games or whatever, Three-point shooting has actually not been a problem for the Lakers at all. Like they, Their overall percentages on the year are still low because they began historically bad for you know the opening dozen, 15 games or whatever. But this, the last 15, 10 games, certainly like the last five, the only guys on this team who really aren't making threes, who shoot them at any volume, are Russ and LeBron. And in the case of LeBron, to be totally honest, I don't really even necessarily – you don't want him taking a lot if he's not making them. But all things being equal, the floor is supposed to be spread for him. He's not supposed to be the one spreading the floor. So if the worst thing going on with LeBron, the way he's been playing, and in AD's absence, I think he's been playing very well. If the worst thing you can say about LeBron is that he's not hitting threes, I'm not going to complain much. Yep. To your point, eighth in the league uh, in three-point shooting over the last 10 games, uh, yeah. 19th over the last 15. Again, 19th, not great, but it's tolerable. You know, yeah. up around 35.5% over the last 15, closer to 39%, 38% uh, for the last um, 10. So that is, if they can keep that up, that'll certainly make a big difference, particularly, again, while AD does that. They have to shoot the ball well with AD. We saw it happen. Dallas was in a, you know, sort of the exception uh, that that shows what you're talking about. When they can't shoot the ball well, they are in big trouble. Um, speaking of LeBron, Andy, um, he quietly pulled something off of his social media feed. <laughs> um, but it just goes to show the internet is forever. Mm-hmm. That's next. Lockdown League is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.net, your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from football to basketball to bowl season. Esports, they got it all at BetOnline.net, plus sports podcasts. And if you love those, which you obviously do because you're listening to one right now, they got that content over at BetOnline as well. So it's always the fastest, easiest way to get your betting fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device. Learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. In in, uh, April, April 22nd to be specific, LeBron James noted on Twitter that he, I said, I can slash will not, in all caps, miss the postseason again for my career. This bleep hurts, all caps, H-U-R-T. Okay, back to watching these games. Uh, It was noticed by a very clever person someone you know <laughs> checking this stuff out he has deleted that tweet yeah yes he has <laughs> it, the internet by side note the internet by the way is 
and you know this leads at times to you know every you see this every single year some guy gets drafted into the NBA or NFL and people go through their tweets and uncover something they sent out when they were like mm-hmm. 15 that's either homophobic or racist and I don't I obviously don't condone what's being said there I don't like the idea of just trolling for mistakes people made when they were teenagers I, ju- I just I think it's a bunch of bad faith actors who aren't doing anything to try right. to better the world. How are you about going back to April? What do you think about going back to April of 2022? Is well, that too cons- far when you're talking about a grown up like LeBron. I was going to say, considering that LeBron was 36, no, I think it's fair mm-hmm. game at that point. Um, yes. I'll be honest with you. I thought that was a bold tweet at the time that I would not have made if I were playing for the Lakers. No, I would not have made that either. I think a lot of people at the time uh, did actually note that LeBron was going out on something of a limb right. with, with that tweet. I will say this, though. If the Lakers somehow buck their current odds and their current situation and make the playoffs, I fully endorse the idea of LeBron tweeting out something to the degree of told y'all never Mm -hmm. lost any faith whatsoever. Told you I was never missing the playoffs again and acting like he never deleted anything in the first place. Gaslight the bleep out of us, King. Go for it. Never happened. So that, that is, uh, we thought was funny, more relevant, um, things that we saw it was a lot of anger on the youtube page throughout the course of the week certainly after the christmas loss and we talked a lot about what the lakers owe quote unquote owe lebron for uh for tuesday's show and whether they do or don't um one of the more interesting comments that was left in reply to that um was from applesauce 451 because there's been a ton of anti-genie stuff out there anti-palinka stuff but two bus people uh that aren't in the crosshairs for most fans are Jesse and Joey who are uh, Jesse is uh, in, helps uh, does the scouting and Joey runs the G League team and and, and other stuff like that uh, applesauce 451 asks uh, the two younger brothers they are in Lakers management why is there never serious in-depth discussion of their future role after all uh, if they got fed up they could be the swing votes in the trust decision to sell the club are they part of the decision making process have they been promised a larger role? Etc. Um, where those guys fit in is kind of fascinating to me because they are doing a good job. Like, yes. you know, Joey's work is a little harder to translate to how it impacts the Lakers directly um, in terms of the general manager work of the G League team and, and some of the other ancillary stuff that he does around the club. Jesse's is a little more tangible. Scouting, that's one of the drafting. It's one of the few things they've done well over the years, but the idea of say, putting them in charge, whether now or in the very near future, it's real sticky. I think given the, particularly given the team's history with family members in prominent positions. Yeah. You and I have both been pretty big fans of Joey and Jesse for a while. We know Joey better than Jesse. We, we about probably 10 years ago for ESPN did a sit down interview with Joey when he was first starting to work mm-hmm. with the G League team. And a lot of people didn't know he was. Like, I remember, uh, fans may not remember this, when the when the Lakers won the championship in Orlando, mm-hmm. Dr. Buss surprised Joey 
by telling him to go up there. Yes, and, Joey and went out and received the trophy. the trophy. Yes, right. And Joey had no idea this was coming. And Doctor Buss intentionally did this as a gut check for his son because he wanted to see how Joey would react. And Joey reacted really well. But what's funny is that was the first time I had ever seen Joey. I didn't know who he was. I thought Doctor Buss decided in what I I thought was a really cool gesture to have a fan come up and accept the trophy on behalf of the team. Like some fan that he knew was in Orlando and been like the world, like Orlando's biggest Laker fan. And and Dr. Buss decided to do something really awesome for this Laker fan holding it down in central Florida. Like I did not know that that was Joey. No, it was, it was a genuine surprise. And, 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 nobody, and Joey told, nobody knew who he was. Right. And Joey told us that story among other things. We interviewed him and you and I both walked away from talking with him for like 20 or 30 minutes, very impressed with him. I can tell you that both he and Jesse, who we don't know as well, I've been talking a few times, but neither one of you know, neither one of them are particularly active public figures. Right. Both of them, neither one of them do a ton of interviews. They're um, both very well respected, though. They are. And the, and the and again, like I said, the results are there. And where there was I think you mentioned though a lot of Jim uh, around the league in terms of his work ethic and and how much he had earned his position, i.e., he had not. Um, both Bus brothers, the younger Bus, the the sons, are very well respected for putting in the work, putting in the time, starting at the bottom and working their way up. But you you had mentioned too the the Jim of it all, and I I can understand where Jeannie. And I don't know if this is the case or not. I, I know that Jesse and Joey, their voices have started to, over the last year or so, become more prominent within Correct. the organization. Yeah. I know that they've started to have a larger seat at the table. You know, th this has been uh, well documented by uh, many people that they, they are starting to gain more more of a leadership presence. Veto the power over stuff, but they're in the conversations, right? Um, I don't know for a fact that Jeannie has any reluctance about potentially promoting either of them to essentially Rob Palinka's role or, or just below Palinka, something like that. But if she did over Linda's dead body, Andy, <laughs> <laughs> but if she did though, it would, it would not surprise me at all. If it's just because that is a job that unless you are like R.C. Buford or Sam Presti, you basically have that job knowing at some point you're so going the coach. to lose it. And it is very difficult, even under the best circumstances, to fire family. And it wouldn't shock me if Jeannie is reluctant to go down that road with Joey or Jesse, even if she has way more respect and a better working relationship with Joey or Jesse, which just raises the question of if it's not Joey or Jesse and Rob Palenka ultimately proves himself in Jeannie's mind as being unsuitable for this role. <laughs> if you we, can, if dear listener, you can wrap your head around that. Will she be willing to look outside the, literal or proverbial family mm -hmm. for that role because right. it, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be joey or jesse or 
somebody already in the inner circle and nobody else considered. That's how organizations are poorly run. That's, that's Kurt. Kurt's still here. I, I think um, the good news is, realistically, logistically speaking, neither one of those guys are should be in a position where they where they should would be next in line. They really aren't. And I and I like both of the work that they're doing. But Jesse shouldn't go from the role he's got to running the Lakers. You know, Joey shouldn't go from the role he's got to being, you know, the the GM of the team. Like that shouldn't be where they go next. So there is time to figure this stuff out, promote them naturally and do all that stuff. And hopefully the Lakers will have figured, you know, all these things out or, you know, in the eight, 10 years or however long this could take, may not own the team anymore. I don't know. Uh, I do want to do a show, you know, not for today. And, you know, obviously uh, for Wednesday uh, into Thursday, we want to, you know, reacting to the game and stuff, what it would mean for the bus family to sell a team. Because in some ways I think you could see a lot of positives, but I do think Lakers fans in this moment of deep frustration are losing sight of some things that would change that they might not like. So, um, we'll get to all that, but I think the point you're making is the larger one and the more important one is if they do make a change, where do they look? Um, and who is it that Jeannie leans on? So maybe uh, maybe we, we even talk less about that if the Lakers go out and spank those Miami Heats on Wednesday and carry it. They, they got a chance. They got, you know, Atlanta lost on, on Tuesday night badly to uh, Indiana. They are kind of a team in, in a bit of disarray. And then you finish the the uh the trip in charlotte i mean these are all winnable games so we'll see yep. what happens for the lakers locked on you uh locked on lakers on youtube so we're going to watch the show see our faces when we tell jokes and things like that and when um, we copy locked on rockets and we would copy locked on rockets um <laughs> yes never listened to it uh <laughs> but it's, a, it's an excellent show make it your second listen of every day um i just thought i missed something from what that guy was telling me that we really were pilfering um and we'll see everybody on uh, Thursday.